with us. Galatians 5, let's look at verse 22 and 23, and then we'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, after that. Let's read 22 and 23 out loud together. Everybody ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. We'll read down through verse number 8. I'll begin in verse 3. And we will read all of the even-numbered verses together. I'll read the odd-numbered verses by myself. I'll begin in verse 3. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Together, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. We're preaching through the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter number 5, and we've looked at love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. This morning we'll look at the topic of gentleness, and the title of the message you see on the screen there, God's Call for gentle Christians. Let's pray. Lord, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on gentleness before. But what a topic that's very needed. What a, uh, what a subject matter that we need to be reminded of. And so, Lord, as we look, look at this and, and address it, uh, would you show us where we can improve, where we can tweak, where we can change? For some of us, it might even need to be a 180-degree turnaround. But, Lord, uh, I pray, God, that as we focus on the inner man this morning and how we treat our fellow brother, that uh, we would be those who treat one another with loving, kind, and care, care, uh, careness and gentleness. Be with us this morning. If there's one here today that's not yet accepted Christ as their Savior, may they do that before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Oh boy, gentleness. So I uh, sat down this week and I pulled out my Bible and I began to put uh, my thoughts together on gentleness. And I went into my bedroom to get my study Bible and my study Bible I had left at the church. And so I grabbed for my backup Bible that I read from at home and I normally study out of a Thompson chain reference Bible. Uh, I grabbed my Schofield Bible and so uh, it's a King James Version, that's what we use here, but uh, Schofield study notes in it, and it's a Bible I've had since I was a teenager. So I pulled that out, and I turned to Galatians 5, and I began to read over the fruits of the Spirit. How many of you here use a Schofield Bible? If you have one with you this morning, would you hold up your hand? You have a Schofield Bible. Okay, you'll notice on that page 
that down in the comments, uh, what I'm going to share with you is found there. Uh, and I read that, and I don't think anything happens on accident. I think everything happens because the Lord leads and guides. And what I found from uh, Mr. Schofield's insight, I'm going to share it here. I found it just to be very helpful, and uh, I think that breaks this down in such a way uh, that will help us better understand the nine fruits of the Spirit. So let me uh, break up the nine spirits into groups, uh, nine fruits of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, into three categories here. The first one is character of the heart. Character of the heart, and that's the first three, love, joy, and peace. Just a couple of minutes of comments here, moments of comments here. Uh, these, these emotions of love, of joy, and peace, they originate in our heart. Now, you can smile on the outside and make everyone think that you're joyous, but God knows in your heart whether or not you truly have joy. I've always been impressed with people that can hide their emotions well, and they can be tore up and miserable on the outside and just walk around gleefully and happy from the smile on their face to the way they carry their shoulders to the way they walk. Their body language screams happiness, but on the inside, they're a mess. The truth is, you may be joyous looking on the outside and be a total disaster. Disaster on the inside. Uh, uh, love. Love is an emotion that um, uh, originates in the heart, and it's something we've been commanded to do. Without going back and re-preaching that sermon, we uh, we've been called to love God with all of our heart, and then love our neighbor, and to love our spouse, and to love our children, and uh, to love uh, even our enemies. Matthew five, and uh, I believe it's uh, Mark four, teach us that we're to love. Everyone, And we're to show the love of Christ to everyone, no matter who they are. So love, joy, and peace we looked at two weeks ago. You can fake as though you are peaceful on the inside, but truth be told, uh, your spouse probably knows that you definitely know whether or not you have a peaceful heart or a heart full of fear and anxiety and all the other things that go along with that. And so love, joy, and peace are uh, character of the heart. The next group of three uh, would be character toward others. Character toward others. My character towards others. And who? Uh, what would this be? Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Do you treat other people with a long-suffering spirit? We looked at that topic last week in great detail. Uh, probably the first time I'd ever preached a sermon on long-suffering. And I mentioned last week in my message that as a Christian, a churchgoer for 35 years, I've always uh, tied in long-suffering to patience and sort of used them interchangeably. And we talked about how that patience is so much deeper, or rather long-suffering is so much deeper and so much broader than the word patience is. Patience makes up a portion of long-suffering, but long-suffering is so much more than that. Long-suffering is a willingness to suffer with someone else's wrongdoing toward me and show them the grace of God in a hope and a prayer that God will bring them around to the truth. It is leaving uh, uh, my right to punish them up to God and allowing Him to do that, especially and really only if that person does not fit under my jurisdiction. Now, there's one thing I didn't say in last week's message that I want to clarify right here with this topic of long-suffering. And those of you that um, are pacifists, you may have taken what I said to an extreme. So let me just uh, add one thing to that long-suffering thought. Okay? We began the sermon last week in Romans chapter 2 where it says that you're not to judge other people. Right? Because whatever you're judging others of, in some way or another, you're probably guilty of that yourself. Okay, um, 
there are people you are supposed to judge. There's people you're not supposed to judge. And there's people that you are supposed to judge. Okay? I am a father. And I have children. And if I don't judge my children at home, then who's going to do it? You say, well then, Pastor, who do I judge and who do I not judge? If God has given you authority over a person, you are to be the judge in God's place in their life. Uh, I am an employer, I am a husband, I am a father, and I am a pastor. And on some level, in all those roles, I am to cast judgment in a loving way, in a long-suffering way. I am to cast judgment. I'm not supposed to say, as a dad, well, my children can behave however they want, and the long-suffering hand of God will eventually straighten them out. No, I am the correcting hand of God. In their life. And I am supposed to step up and do something. All of us enjoy a, a workplace or a home or uh, an institution that has structure to it. How many of you have ever worked a job where uh, the employer really never enforced the rules and it just turned into a chaotic place to work? How many of you ever worked in that environment before? Hey, that's not fun, is it? You want someone who's going to consistently and not emotionally and carefully enforce the rules. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that you need to be a jerk about it, but you do need to enforce the rules. And so being long-suffering doesn't just mean that I turn a blind eye to sin and let God handle that. No, if God's put you in the place to handle that, then you need to handle it. But nonetheless, those that don't fall under your jurisdiction, what do you need to do? You need to leave them up to God. We talked about people who go to these uh, LGBT parades in New York City and hold up the signs and, and, and are mean and nasty, un- unkind and uncaring, as though they're the judge. No, God does not put them under your jurisdiction. You pray for them, you love them, you show long-suffering toward them, and you leave what they're doing up to the God who created them. You are long-suffering. Gentleness we'll look at today. And then next week we'll focus in on goodness. The last three fruits of the Spirit are um, faith, meekness, and temperance. And these are my character toward God. My character toward God. We'll hold comment for those for a few weeks. Go ahead and throw that next slide up there for me if you don't mind. Now, notice the correlation here. If my heart is filled with the love of God, then I will have no problem being long-suffering toward others. And having faith toward my God. If I love God, I'm going to trust God. If I love others, I'm going to be long-suffering toward them in my downfall, in my shortcomings. Look here, joy. If my heart is filled with joy, and we define joy as being that which comes from inward stimuli from my walk with God, not outward stimuli, which is happiness. That's the difference between joy and happiness. The new iPhone was just announced in the last couple of weeks. How many of you tech-savvy people are dying to get your hands on the latest, greatest smartphone? All right, the young people are all raising their hand. Me, 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 I want the whatever, latest, greatest gadget. For you, it may not be a gadget, it may be a car, an old car you want to get your hands on. Or it may uh, be the latest kitchen gadget, ladies, or even some of you men that cook. Uh, whatever it would be, you you have that, uh, that, that thing you want. Maybe it's a bigger or nicer house. Maybe it's an upgraded car. Whatever it would be, a nice new dress or a nice new purse, ladies. Uh, whatever it would be. You know what? Those things will bring you short-term happiness because they're outward stimulus. But joy only comes from the inside, from walking with God. By the way, the storm can rage over my head with problems. 
If I'm walking with God, there's a joy that's unspeakable, unexplainable. Now, if my heart is filled with God's joy, you know what that's going to cause? That's going to cause me to be gentle towards someone who isn't being so nice to me. To handle them with gentleness. When someone isn't meeting my expectations, instead of being nasty toward them, I can handle that in a way that's gentle. If my heart's filled with joy, that will give me meekness toward my God and toward others. And then if my heart is full with peace, I'll have no problem showing the goodness of God to others and having a temperate, self-control spirit toward God. So you see how those relate. Let's focus in on the word gentlemen today. Oh, before, or rather the word gentle. Before we get to that, uh, I want to show you something else. Go back over to uh, Galatians chapter number 5 with me. And I want to show you a correlation here I just found very fascinating. As we're talking about the this topic of producing through the Spirit. All year long, we've been preparing the heart, preparing the soil of the heart in order to get to a place where we are that tree planted by the river of water that's putting forth our fruit in our season, putting forth that fruit of 30-fold, 60-fold, and if maybe God allows it, 100-fold. Look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, Mr. Schofield uh, makes a correlation here I found very fascinating. He says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, turn over to 2.20 with me if you would, and then uh, John chapter 15, they all sort of fit together. And boy, my eyeballs were just open to this this week. Galatians 2.20, are you there? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, how do these things fit together? John chapter 15 talks about this. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 6 of that chapter says, without me, without me, ye can do nothing. You can do nothing. Oh, there are things you can do without God, but nothing of spiritual importance, nothing of eternal value. You can't do anything that matters on the grand scale of eternity unless you're doing it with God or God's doing it through you. Now, in John 15, he says that he is the true vine and we are the branches. So I want you to picture this vine with its roots down in the soil that's coming out and offshoot from that vine are branches. And those branches are supposed to be you and I as we're connected into Christ. We put our faith and trust in Christ. He's redeemed us. He saved us. He is the vine that pulls up the nutrients and he sends them out on the branches and off of that branch comes love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and all these fruits are being borne out through the branch that's connected into Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I am connected into Christ. I am suffering with Christ. I am tied into Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I bear fruit. Yet not I... But it's the, it's the vine. It's Christ that liveth in me or through me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh. Yes, my flesh and bones are here. I live by the faith of the Son of God. My, my faith is in the vine that's connected down and pulling up the nutrients and sending forth love and joy and peace and long-suffering. And today we'll look at gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and difference. Here come these fruits in my life. Why? Because I'm crucified with my Savior. I'm connected into my Savior. And through that, I live. And, and, and it's, it's His fruits that are produced through me. Today, Christian, if you're not producing the fruits of the Spirit, it could be, whew, almost fell off. It could be that you're not walking with the Lord the way you ought to be. You're not dependent on God the way you ought to be. That your faith in God is not strong. That you're going through life, you're waking up each morning, and you're thinking through your day in secular, limited terms. You're thinking about, oh, i got to get up today, and i got to go back to work, and i got to deal with the same problems I left yesterday. My wife is nagging me. My husband's a lazy bum. Whatever it is, my children are are, are going here and there, and, and I don't have the time. And, and, and you, you run through life day after day after day, and you're not spiritually minded. You're not connected into Christ. That walk with God is not strong. Now, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do want to make sure that I drive this point firmly home, is that the only way to produce those nine fruits up there through your life is for you to yield to the Spirit. You know what the word yield means? It means to submit. It means to give the right away to. How many of you um, uh, are stickler for yield signs on the road? And you don't like it when other people don't follow them. You ever watch people merge on 95? You're in the right lane and it's, you know, it's, it's rush hour, right? It's packed. And people just, boop, like you're not there. Expect you to yield to them as they come on. And how many of you have said before, hey, it's you that has the yield sign, buddy. Not me. Right? How many know I'm talking about? You know what? It's you that has the yield sign, buddy, not the Spirit of God. You are to yield to the Spirit. The Spirit of God is not supposed to yield to you. And we live our life telling the Holy Spirit, yeah, I'll deal with you later. Yeah, I know you're convicting me over sin. I'll deal with that later. Yeah, I know that you're trying to push me to go share a kind word with that person. I know you're trying to mold and shape my temperament and my spirit, but I'll deal with that later. I'm too busy doing this. I'm too busy going here. I'm too busy doing things my way. And you get in line with me, God, and the Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. You yield to me. You submit to what I'm calling you to do. And as we begin to yield and turn over areas of our life to God, boy, we begin to see these nine fruits begin to grow on the tree of our life in abundance. And you know what? We began to be used by God to be a strong witness to the world around us. Let's focus on that word gentleness this morning. When I think of the word gentleness, and I sit and ponder that word, The first term that, you guys, you can leave that up there for the time being, okay? The first word that comes to my mind is the word gentleman. Gentleman. You go to a sporting event and you hear the guy get up there and he'll say, Ladies and gentlemen, please rise and remove your caps as such and such sings our nation's anthem, right? A gentleman. Now, that's a term we hear used a lot. But what does the term gentleman mean? Gentleman. Well, I wrote down the definition of gentle. And then I put down a definition, a loose definition of the word man. And this won't be on the screen, but you can jot it down if you feel the need to. Gentle would be soft and tender. 
Someone who's gentle is someone who's soft and tender. Someone who's full of compassion, soft and tender, full of compassion. One who tenderly cares for others. One who tenderly cares for others. All right. How about a man? I think of a man's man. Especially if we were to get into a time machine and go back like 200 years. Right? Not these softies today. Okay? These, uh, these, um, um, and if, if this is you, I don't, I don't, I'm just being funny. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But I was talking to Brother Mike about this before the service this morning. These skinny jean wearing guys with the pink pants and the rips in the jeans. You know, look, uh, um, have you seen a man's leg? It's not, not desired to be looked at, okay? And so you don't need to accentuate that ugliness. You know what a man's leg is? It's two ropes with a knot in the middle, or a rope with a knot in the middle. And, and all the hairs that come off, that's about it, okay? You don't need to be accentuating that. And there's nothing worse than a fat guy wearing skinny jeans, just knock it off. That's not needed, all right? Uh, but when I talk about a man, I mean getting in a time machine and going back a little ways where the average, the average man was tough and manly and, uh, and, and rugged, all right? Uh, I put this down for man. Strong and powerful. Strong and powerful. Tough and unflappable. Tough and unflappable. Firm and at times even rigid. Strong and powerful. Tough and unflappable. Firm and at times rigid. Uh, when my children at home get hurt, even my son, my 10-year-old son, he gets hurt outside playing, maybe he gets stung by a bee, whatever it is, he does not come running in the house looking for me. He comes in the house looking for his mother. Because he knows what I'm going to tell him is, Oh boy, toughen up! I may even tell my daughter that from time to time. I don't know. But toughen up, boy. Um, uh, they're looking for mom because mom is not as rigid as dad is. So what is a gentle man? A gentle man. Gentle and man, by those two terms, almost seem to be opposites of each other. Can I tell you that a gentle man is a possibility. It is a great mixture of the two. You know what a gentleman is? He is strong yet tender. He is strong yet tender. He's tough. But he's compassionate. He's firm. He's firm. But he's filled with care. He's a man that has both down. Has both down. Now, it isn't just men that are called to be gentle. We're all called to walk with a spirit of gentleness. Um, go ahead and put that next slide up there for me. I read this this week in preparation for the message and thought it was just wonderful. Truth without love is too hard. Think of a ball of steel. All right? Love without truth is too soft. Truth without love. Some of you in here, boy, you are just really good at telling it like it is. Telling it like it is. You get in someone's face. Let them have it. What are you doing? Why are you late for work? Um, uh, how come you, you're, you're, you're sloughing off on company time? Um, and and you're, you're, you're quick with your words. You're sharp with your words. You're attacking with your words. And you say, well, it's true. Someone had to tell them. Truth. Uh, listen, just because it's true, number one, does not mean you need to say it. And number two, doesn't mean you need to be mean with it. How many of you want me to come to your house with a, with a, uh, a pool ball and throw it and hit you in the back of the head? 
Some of you, that's how you are with truth. You walk around with truth like it's a pool ball and you're hitting a billiards ball and you're hitting people in the back of the head with it and you're saying, well, it's true, they just need to get over it. That's too hard. That's too hard. Others of you here, you're the complete polar opposite. I just want everyone to get along. Can't we just all love each other? And, you know, I know it's true, but that doesn't mean it needs to ever be said. Because it just may hurt someone's feelings. Pastor, do you have to get up and do you have to talk about hard topics? Someone may get their feelings hurt and may never, ever, ever come back. And listen, I'm not up here trying to run people off. But I have to tell you that if you're not willing to ever tell the truth out of the, the, the acquiescing, the pacifist attitude, because you just don't ever want to hurt anybody's feelings, then you're nothing more than a ball of velvet. Nothing more than a ball of velvet. What is a Christian called to be? A Christian is called to have a core of steel and be wrapped in velvet. That's truth wrapped with gentleness. Truth wrapped in love. Maybe that's why Paul told the church he wrote to, speak the truth in love. Give them the truth, but do it in a loving way. Give them the truth, but be gentle in your approach. Make sure that you never offend someone with your disposition. If someone's going to be offended with your position, you make sure you're as love and kind and caring in your presenting of that. And you make sure that position is rooted and founded in the Word of God. God's call for gentle Christians, truth without love is too hard. Love without truth is too soft. And so we need to be the combination of the two. That truth that's wrapped in, in, in kindness. That truth that's wrapped in gentleness. That uh, being willing to have a backbone but being firm. I think of a big strong man who goes to the gym and he lifts weights and he, he, he has that vein sticking out on his neck and in his arm and then he goes home and he gets a shower and he walks into his child's room with his whimpering baby and he picks it up and with his big biceps, he rocks that baby to sleep. He knows how to handle the dumbbell and he knows how to handle the baby. I think of a man who can work uh, uh, for uh, 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 many, many hours and not get a lot of sleep several days in a row. And then when he's faced with a tough situation, have the gentle composure about him to look at it and handle it in a way that's Christ-like. I think of a woman who's kept up all night for hours and hours on end with a newborn baby who gets little to no sleep hour, a day after day after day. But then when her eight-year-old flunks a math test, she's able to look at that eight-year-old in the eye and say, you know what, let's sit down and work on this. I love you. And know how to not let it slide, but know how also not to jump all over the child. That is that gentle Christian, that Christian who's a mixture of the two. This morning, let's look at three principal thoughts as we examine our hearts and lives about this topic of gentleness. If you have a bulletin this morning, on the back is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I would encourage you to fill in the blanks as we go. Point number one, the effects of gentleness, the effects of gentleness. I'm going to take you through the scriptures topically, and we're going to look at what gentleness looks like on the tree of the Christian's life. Letter A, notice it empowers leadership. It empowers leadership. Can you turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 22? Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians. You're going to need that. 2 Samuel chapter 22.
in verse number 36. Verse 36 says, Thou hast also given me, this is David speaking, the shield of thy salvation. Look here. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thy gentleness hath made me great. David is a warrior. David is a king. David is a leader. David, at the ripe old age of 17, was put in charge of the entire army of Israel, one of the greatest countries of his day. He killed Goliath, and right on the heels of that, Saul put him in charge of all of the military. And a fascinating chapter in the Bible, over and over and over again, says about David as a teenager that he behaved himself wisely. And uh, here David is older. He's approaching the end of his life and he looks back over his life as God has led him while he's led other and he says this he talks about the shield of salvation how God has protected him with a shield and then he says this it is thy it is it is thy gentleness thy gentleness hath made me great thy gentleness hath led me to greatness. How many of you here in some role, in some capacity of your life, have some area of leadership that you have been given in your life? Would you hold up your hand for me? And that will even go down to children. You have um, uh, children in here can have leadership roles. You put in charge of things at school and whatnot. You are a leader, okay? You need to lead with gentleness. Nobody likes to be jerked around by the back of the neck or pulled around by the ear and talked to in a way that's nasty. Nobody likes it when you blow up on them and you're nasty with them. It is your gentleness that leads other people to greatness. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 11. Uh, When you get into um, uh, past the book of Psalms, to the right of Psalms, you get into the major prophets, okay? And so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, I believe after that is Isaiah. Is that not right? Yeah, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. So Isaiah, turn over with me to chapter number 40. And verse number 11, it says there, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Gently lead those that are with young. Now here he's talking about sheep and leading as a shepherd would his sheep and correlating that to people. And he talks about leading the pregnant uh, lambs or the pregnant sheep, and the the point he 's making here is that he 's going to gently lead the boast of the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable now, just a quick point of application, if I could as a leader, there are times even when competent people behind you are vulnerable they 're struggling. How many of you here occasionally have a bad day? Would you raise your hand if occasionally that 'd be all of us right okay you didn't, don't get a lot of sleep at night. Maybe you even got a good night's sleep, but you slept funny on your pillow and your neck hurts. Nothing worse than neck pain, right? You don't want neck pain, just don't ever get married. Some of you here are single. Think about it. Amen. No, I'm teasing. Uh, being married is great. I love my wife. I'm a pain in her neck. She's never a pain in my neck. Glory. Okay. Uh, but um, um, someone wakes up with neck pain, back pain. Some of you, your three best friends are snap, crackle, and pop. Every time you get out of bed, that, they, they greet you, don't they? And uh, you wake up, and, and life's hard. You have a rough day. What do you want someone to do to you when you're having a bad day? Do you want them to get, give you a hard time because you're a grouch? 
Some of you here, you have employees or you have uh, children or you have a spouse and uh, they're, they're having an off day or maybe even an off month and you're just not very nice. Well, they need to get with the program. They need to go to bed and get back up on the other side. How about every now and then you just cut someone some slack and you show them that you care for them when they're having a tough time? You know what that causes? Now, I'm just being really practical this morning. You know what that causes? That causes a spirit of loyalty from them to you. When they know that you're willing to give them some space and time to work through that, and you're not going to just let it slide forever, but you're going to give them some space and time to work through that, you're going to show that you care for them. Boy, that creates a spirit of loyalty toward you. You say, well, I don't know. I I run a business and I live by the policy of I don't want you to call in sick. You ought to crawl in sick. Now, look, I understand the old school mentality. I get it. Trust me, I was raised by a dad who instilled old school mentality. I'm 35, but I think more like a 55 or 60 year old in a lot of areas in life. And I get it. And, 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 and I understand that if you're a large company, you have to have these policies in place. But if you can, be, be gentle with people and lead them gently. It empowers leadership. What does, uh, what does, what are the effects of gentleness? Letter B, notice it encourages growth. Go back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, verse number 7. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and where we began this morning in verse number 7, it says, But we, Paul is speaking here, he said, But we were gentle among you, church of Thessalonica. We were gentle among you, church members, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Aren't you glad God made babies cute? He said, Not every baby's cute. Um... Aren't you glad God made you to believe that your baby was cute? Even if nobody else thinks your baby is cute, you think your baby's cute? Aren't you glad for that? If babies were all ugly, it'd be really tough to take care of them. Uh, my children are 10 and 8, respectively, Matthew and April. And uh, I can remember when they were babies and uh, they would, you know, they, they didn't sleep through the night right away. And, some some mom, moms and dads are really good at, at you know letting them cry it out. My wife was not a let them cry it out mom. Okay, my mom was my wife was right there to just coddle them and baby them and love them and take care of them every time they even had a whimper and uh, all that you know different, different parenting styles and whatnot. But can I tell you something? Is that because my wife was gentle with them even during the rough days, it helped them to not only grow physically but help them to grow emotionally and socially and spiritually. There's that nursing, that caring mother. And uh, one of the reasons why a lot of moms, after they have that last baby, you'll see moms who have a a 15-year-old and then they have another baby. You know why? Because they miss that time when that child is an infant, where they can cuddle and coddle and nurse and love. I think of a mother who's giving her child milk and that eye contact that's made with that baby, that heart connection that's made, that that gentleness, that gentle approach, that 
care that a mother gives her baby. And I know not every woman can nurse. And even holding a baby and giving it that bottle and that eye contact as that baby is sucking down its, its milk. And there's that gentleness with that new life that brings it up in a way. Yes, there is a day where firmness is needed. Yes, there is a day where rules are enforced. Yes, there is a day where, where stubborn wills need to be confronted. But uh, uh, early on and, and, and even at times when they get older, there is that gentleness that encourages growth. During um, uh, World War II, Nazi Germany, it is said that Hitler would experiment and have a nursery full of babies that were nothing more than just changed and fed. There was no loving care shown by the nurses. There There was no love there. They were nursed, fed, and allowed to cry themselves to sleep. In another room, the children were touched regularly and caressed and cared for. And a large percentage of the babies in the first room died before they even left infancy. Because there was not that gentleness that was given to the children. What are the effects of gentleness? You finding that approach, that balance in life of, of, of yes, that steel ball of cores and values and, and principles and morals and, and standing up for what's right when it's necessary, but coming at it in a gentle, loving, caring approach. What are the, the effects of that? Well, it empowers you to lead others, but it encourages others under you that call you leader or that would look up to you as a leader. It encourages their growth. Letter C, it enlightens believers. It enlightens believers. Turn over to James chapter 3. If you're in 1 Thessalonians 4, that would be to the right. James chapter 3. It's the book immediately following Hebrews. James chapter number 3 and verse number 17. Let's back up a couple verses and look at verse number 14. It says, and I'll begin there. You can catch up when you arrive. It says, but if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, what wisdom? Well, this is earthly, humanistic wisdom. Uh, wisdom that says, uh, seek vengeance, get back, uh, avenge your own wrongdoing. Verse 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from heaven, the wisdom that is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, look here, gentle, gentle, and easy to be entreated or easily approachable, full of mercy, and there's that term, good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. We don't have time to break down all of verse 17, but I just want to say here that, uh, that God's wisdom is gentleness. God's wisdom involves gentleness. It involves treating other people with gentleness. Aren't you glad that the Lord is gentle toward you? Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't throw the book and hit you in the back of the head every time you do wrong? Now listen, some people have this view of God that he's a mean ogre in heaven with a stick. And he's waiting to just smash you over the head every time you step out of line. And I have to tell you that God always does correct wrongdoing. But the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 14. It says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, he chasteneth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. 
If you are the child of God, you've put your faith and trust through Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross and then His resurrection from the dead. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. You are His child. And while He corrects you, He does it out of charity, out of compassion, out of care. He does it with a purpose in mind, an intent in mind, and He does it with a hand of gentleness. Now, that doesn't mean God just lets you get away with whatever you want. He turns a blind eye to it. But he's gentle with you. Think about this with me, if you will, this morning. God is all-powerful. You know what that means? That means if God wanted to, he could drop a bowl of fire out of heaven right now and burn this building up with all of us in it. And you know what? If God was sitting in heaven right now and he was behaving the way I behave sometimes, he could be sitting in heaven looking at every single person in this room and dwelling on all of our negative traits, dwelling on all of our sin in our life and say, you know what? I'm so fed up with those people. Wham! Drop that fireball and we are gone. But you know what God is? He's gentle. He's gentle. He sees the long game with each one of us. And he says that there are times where I need to drop a hard time on them. And I, I need to punish them greatly. But, but even in that, I'm not going to ratchet up any more than I have to. I think of the story of David where he numbered the people. He, 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 what he did as the king is he performed a census. God had directly told him through a prophet just a couple verses or chapter before that not to do it. David directly disobeyed God. And God sent a prophet back to David and said, You have violated the law and order of God. God is going to punish you. And God, through the prophet, laid out three punishments. One of them involved a portion of the being carried away to captivity. Off the top of my head, I don't remember what the other one was. But the third one was that God was going to send an angel down into Israel and slay and kill people over David's sin. And you know what David said? David said, I would rather fall into the hands of my God. Because I know he's love. I know he's long-suffering. And you know what? God did send down that death angel and people did die. But God looked at David down on his face and saw him weeping and saw his brokenness. And God stayed the angel prematurely. You know why? Because God is a God of gentleness. Now, God loves us with a gentle spirit, and if we will walk with God, and we will get His wisdom. James 1, 5 of that very book, we're in James. James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, uh, and I will give it to him. You know what? If we go to God and we ask Him for that wisdom, God's going to give you a wisdom that's injected with, that's uh, full with, that's wrapped with gentleness. That gentle spirit, it enlightens Believers, as I am gentle in my approach, God gives me His gentleness. Number one, we see the effects of gentleness. Number two, notice the enemies of gentleness. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians 3 and let's look at 1 Thessalonians, uh, rather 1 Thessalonians 2. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2 expositorily just for a moment here if we could. 1 Thessalonians 2, find your way to verse number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Listen here. And again, the, the background here. Paul established the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica it was a city located in the province of Macedonia. And uh, this would have been a Gentile church. 
with some Jews sprinkled in it, but mostly Gentile church. And now he's away from them. He's writing a letter back to them to encourage them. Look at verse 3. It says, for our encouragement, our consolation, our exhortation was not of, look at the three things listed here, not of deceit nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Look down to verse 5. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, uh, which we might have been uh, burdensome as the apostles of Christ. What's he saying here? He's pointing out to us the enemies of gentleness. Verse 7, he gives the contrast. But, or rather, instead, we were gentle among you, gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. And so, verse 3 through verse 6 gives us the wrong approach as Christians. And verse 7 offers the proper approach as Christians. Everybody with me this morning? Everybody understand the passage here, all right? Let me give you an A, B, and a C out of verses 3, 5, and 6 that talk about the enemies of gentleness. Letter A, notice a deceitful heart. A deceitful heart. Look back at verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit. Not of deceit. Look down at verse 5. Uh, and we see the, the explanation of deceit. For neither at any times used we flattering words. Flattering words. Let me just... Um, let me just give you a big piece of advice this morning. When it comes to your dealings with other people, you may even want to write this down next to a deceitful heart. Write this down. Be sincere. Be sincere. People see right through you and you're using flattering words. You know the difference between a flattering words and a sincere compliment? If somebody were to walk up to me this morning and they were to say to me, Pastor Lejeune, I love your hair. You have the most luscious, beautiful... What, what shampoo are you using? Wow. I look at them and say, you want something out of me. Because I don't buy it. Now that's an obvious example of words that are far from the truth. But you know what a lot of people do is they'll give out flattering words just to get to an end with somebody. And then when they get what they want, they're done with them. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Don't be deceitful with your words. Paul didn't come into town, go in, and please understand, Paul built churches person by person by person. He didn't just go in and put up a tent and say, all right, we're having church. And a bunch of people who were once worshiping idols just showed up and said, all right, we believe in God, let's do this. No, Paul would go into town and he would deal with all of the different businesses and the people. He'd go into the synagogue on Sunday and interact with religious people. He'd live amongst them and interact with them and get to know them. And, and, and he, would, he would work with them in, in a heart of sincerity. He would reach them through a gentle spirit. Spirit, not just so that he could start a church and be down the road. No, because he genuinely cared about them. Can I tell you this morning, people know if you're genuine or not. They know. They know if you really love them and care for them. By the way, can I really uh, uh, hit on something that a lot of Christians are guilty of? Do not say that you are praying for somebody if you're not praying for them. Do not say that. Praying for you, brother. Well, what's my name? Praying for you, brother. You don't even know my name. You just call me brother because you don't know my name. Okay? Don't do that. By the way, if somebody asks you to pray for them and you look in the eye and you say you're going to pray for them, 
you had better pray for them. Don't you lie about praying for somebody. I can't think of uh, things much worse than that. And you genuinely care for each other. That's why we have church, so we can bear each other's burdens, so we can love each other, so we can care for each other. But God wants us in our gentleness to be sincere, a deceitful heart. This is an enemy to gentleness, is when people view you as being someone who just is working to an end, trying to get to an end, and you use them and discard them. Flattering words, a deceitful heart. Letter B, notice a dirty heart. Look back at verse number 5. Or rather, verse 3. For our, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3. For our exhortation, our encouragement of you, was not of deceit nor of uncleanness. Look back down at verse 5. For neither at any time use we flattering words. Here's the second thing that correlates. As ye know, nor a cloak... Of covetousness. A cloak of covetousness. A cloak would have been a coat. A coat of covetousness. Dressed in covetousness. Dressed in covetousness. And really what this gets down to is ulterior motives. Ulterior motives. What is covetousness? It's wanting something that I'm not supposed to have. Either because... It's just never supposed to belong to me, or it's not time for it to belong to me. You know, uh, let me just speak broadly about covetousness for a minute, then I'll I'll drive it home with gentleness. There have been times in my life where I've struggled with covetousness. Wanting things that didn't belong to me. Wanting things that other people had that weren't mine. Um, Many people are able to buy a new home within the first five years of being married. My wife and I weren't able to do that. Right out of Bible school, we got married. In fact, I finished on, let's see, June 15th, 2007. I finished my last class. I was married June 22nd, 2007. I told myself before I went to, want, went to college that I was going to wait till I finished college before I got married. I, I kept that by one week, exactly, one week. Uh, but uh, when you go to Bible school, you're not getting a diploma that necessarily sets you up to make a whole lot of money. In fact, the ceiling is rather low for folks who are pastors with good hearts. Now, I know there are men out there who live in multi-million dollar homes and wear thousand, thousand dollar suits and drive Rolls Royces and wear Rolexes and call themselves preachers. By the way, don't watch them on TV. They're phonies. Let me say that again. Do not watch them on TV. They're phonies. They're phonies. I one time preached against TV preachers, and someone was watching our live stream at home, and they said, you just preached against yourself. So if you're watching at home, I'm not preaching against me because I don't make millions of dollars, okay? Um, uh, in fact, I make a very middle-class salary, and why don't God church you take good care of my family? Uh, but we make a very middle-class salary, and that's probably what we'll always make here. That's what we ought to make here is a middle-class uh, type salary. But when we first got married... Uh, I wasn't making a whole lot of money. In fact, my first job in church ministry was a full-time Christian school teacher, and my salary was a grand total of $18,000 a year. And my wife's salary, she was a full-time teacher's aide for first grade, and her full-time salary was $12,000 a year. Talking about unfair pay, pay, pay in the workplace. Um, so we were making $30,000 a year and trying to get by on that. And uh, eventually I moved into assistant pastor role, and my starting pay was $29,000 a year. And I thought, woo, I'm making it big now. And we lived in the church's house, and so we got to live in a house, but it wasn't ours. We didn't buy a house until about a year and a half ago. 
about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And i got to tell you, the first five to ten years of, of my marriage, my wife and I, we struggled with covetousness. We wanted to own our own home, and we couldn't. We were wearing a cloak of covetousness. And we'd see other people who own homes who are our age and career-oriented and living in nice, beautiful homes, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't have it. Now, maybe you're a better Christian than me, and maybe you've never struggled with that. I don't know. But can I tell you what happens is that people become covetous of folks that are more elevated above them. And they look at the people below them. They look at the people around them. And they're, they're, they're using them to advance their own cause. And they're wearing a cloak of covetousness. Wearing a cloak, a coat of covetousness. I would ask you this morning, father, mother, employer, city official... I would ask you, are you leading people with a heart because you're concerned about them? Or are you leading people with a heart that's concerned about yourself? You see, when we really do care about other people, and we invest ourselves in other people, we're genuine and pure in our approach. And we have the ability to be gentle. When we're just concerned about me, then I'm leading these people to make me better. I'm stepping on other people while I advance myself and my own cause. That's not what God wants. Let her see, lastly here under uh, point two, notice a disingenuous heart. Look at verse number three again. Uh, uh, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Look at verse six. Uh, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He said, look, we didn't come there to start that church so that you would praise our name. We came to start that church so you'd praise his name. It's not about my glory. It's not about the men who came to help me in their glory. It's about bringing glory and honor to the Lord. And you know what? Here's the truth. If God is gentle toward me, and Christ was gentle enough with me to save my soul, and I'm walking with the Lord, and He is my leader, and He is the one helping give me that temperament, then as God is gentle with me, and I'm understanding His gentleness, I'm feeling His gentleness, then I will turn around and I will give gentleness to others behind me. If God is the one that I want to get the glory and honor and praise, I'm replicating His behavior so that other people will look at me and see the gentleness and then they'll look past me and see the gentleness of Christ and then they'll point past me and say Jesus is a gentle soul boy we're trying to bring him the praise and the glory we're not trying to bring ourselves the praise and the glory and the honor it's not about me it's never been about me it's not about you it's never been about you to God be the glory great things he hath done The enemies of gentleness, if you're out to get people to praise your name, if you're out to get advanced in life, if you're out to mislead people, then my friend, you will not be gentle. And I would ask you this morning, if you're a throw the truth at the back of their head and whack them up hard, I would ask you this question. Do any of these maybe hit you between the eyes? Number three, and lastly, notice some examples of gentleness. Some examples of gentleness. Letter A, a nursing mother. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. I won't dwell there because we've already talked about that. But think of a mother who gently cares for and loves her children. 
who is there uh, hour after hour after hour, missing sleep, loving that baby, that gentleness. Listen, that's the gentleness that we're called to show to each other. Let her be noticed a shepherd or pastor. A shepherd or pastor. Turn over to the 23rd Psalm, a passage that we're all familiar with, all of us lifelong churchgoers, whatever church it would be, denomination you're from. We're all familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Turn over there with me quickly, if you would. I'm almost done. I'm going to wrap up here with uh, B and C, just a couple of comments. Look at B. Uh, look at Psalm 23. Look here. And, and the word gentleness is not found here, but the spirit of gentleness is all throughout the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's that cloak of covetousness that's just gone. I shall not want. There, I'm not going to have uh, unseemly desires. I shall not want. Look here. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. What did we say that a gentleman is? He is a ball of steel wrapped in velvet. He is a gentleman. Uh, what is a gentle woman? She is a ball of steel wrapped in velvet. Look, look, look back at verse 2 and you'll see the steel and you'll see the velvet. Look here. He maketh me, there's the steel, making someone to do what? To lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. What is the purpose of the truth in Psalm 23? Is it to be a stick that beats somebody over the head? No. The purpose of it is to lead the followers gently along so that they can have their souls restored. Look at verse 4. Yea, the, or, uh, 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 verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his namesake, there's God getting the glory again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Look at the end of verse 4. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When you show up in the room, do people tense up in fear? Or do they take a deep breath, a sigh of relief that you're there? Do they feel safe with you or threatened by you? Do your children feel as though they can come and open up and tell you about struggles in their life? Or do they hide and, 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 and cower and, and, and try to keep things away from you because they're afraid? You're going to blow up on them and you're going to let them have it. That gentleness. It says there, thy rod and thy staff. Thy rod and thy staff. There's that there's that ball of steel wrapped in velvet, thy rod and thy staff. A, a shepherd's staff on one end has a hook and on the other end is a stick. And that shepherd will use that hook when a sheep is wayward. He'll gently reach out and he'll grab it by the neck and he'll pull it into himself. He is gentle in his correcting of that sheep as he's wayward, as he's wanting to go wayward. But what happens when a sheep continues to go off his own way? Well, that shepherd will pull that sheep over to him and he'll get down low and he'll take the leg, back leg of that sheep. And he'll take the other end of the stick and he'll break that leg and force that sheep to lay there. And then he'll put the leg back in place and tape it up so that it can heal as if to say, you will do what I know is best for you because you are going to wander off into danger and get hurt. That, 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 that ball of steel wrapped in that loving gentleness. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How many of you here have ever had God just lower the hammer on you? And at the time you didn't like it, then you turn around and look back and said, wow, he was really protecting me by correcting me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what? 
New Testament pastors are supposed to act like Old Testament shepherds, not Old Testament kings. It's not my job to come into the church and sit up on a throne and say, you serve me. You go serve there. You go serve there. Come here and clean my shoes. Come here and tell me how great I am. Oh, no, 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 no. It's my job to get down amongst you and be gentle with you and love you and show you the love of Christ. I am called to step into the place of Christ and be the under-shepherd because he is the good shepherd. There's going to be at some point somebody in this room is going to retire or take a job and move out of state. They're going to leave. Some of you might even get upset about something here and leave. Can I encourage you to do something if you ever leave White Oak Baptist Church? Find a church with a pastor who is a loving shepherd, not a bossy king. Find a church where the pastor actually cares about you and is gentle with you. Letter A, we looked at a nursing mother. Letter B, a shepherd or a pastor. Letter C, and lastly, notice a commanding officer. A commanding officer. You're there in Psalm 23. Turn over to Psalm 18. Verse 35. Again, David speaking. This verse is almost identical to 2 Samuel 22. We looked at it a little while ago. It says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thy gentleness hath made me great. You think of a warrior. You think of a drill instructor. You think of a big, strong, tough guy with his chest out and his stomach in and his shoulders back. And he knows how to sit properly and walk in cadence and in order. And he knows how to fire a gun. And and, and he's got all of the rigidness and roughness and toughness of a soldier. And David, who was a soldier who, 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 who slaughtered the enemies of the Lord, he said this about God, his commanding officer. He said, thy gentleness hath made me great. Thy gentleness hath made me great. He said, yes, we were tough on the enemy. We were gentle on each other. Let me repeat that one more time. We were tough on the enemy. We were gentle on each other. One of the worst things I see Christians do, you know what Christians are really good at? We're really good at kicking each other while we're down. Well, did you see brother such and such? He blew it again. Yeah, yeah, he, he, He's a, he's a mess. Do you see sister such and such? She lost it on that baby in the nursery. You know what? I don't think she's fit. I, maybe she needs to go, go, go work in a funny farm. Go be, go be part of the psych ward. Uh, and then we get on Facebook and we rip and slander. Now I'm not saying that happens here, but I'm saying it happens amongst Christians. You know what we need to do? We need to follow our commanding officer. He's tough on the enemy and he's gentle toward us. And we need to be tough on the enemy. Not that the world's the enemy, Satan's the enemy. We need to be tough on our sin, and we need to be gentle toward each other. Christian, do you have a gentle spirit about you? Is the fruit of gentleness, is it alive and well on the tree of your life? Have you found that balance of truth and love? Remember, truth without love is too hard. Love without truth is too soft. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Lord, would you help us to... Not only have heard the word, but Lord, have taken it down into our heart and considered the truth of it. And Lord, would you critique our inner man where we're not yielding to you, where we're expecting you to yield to us. May we make those changes. 
would you allow us or would you would you allow us to have you shepherd us? Would you shepherd us, Lord? Would you correct us gently and then help us to handle others with the same gentleness that you've called us to, Lord? Help us to be Christians that have a gentle touch, a gentle spirit, and a gentle heart. In Jesus' name.